0: What is kindness? Is it accepting substandard work or is it insisting that only the best quality is acceptable? There is often a lot of confusion about this and people think that they are being kind when they say nothing to their group members family or friends who routinely overpromise and underdeliver i want to distinguish here between inability and unwillingness for example if someone is learning english i wouldn't discard something that he or she had written because it had spelling and grammatical errors but if the same person if the same work comes from someone who knows english well Then it indicates an attitude of carelessness and inattention to quality, which is a reflection, not of their language ability, but of a much more dangerous malaise. An attitude of carelessness, lack of attention to detail, and lack of concern for quality. When I see this, I know I am looking at a person without self-respect, because in my book, my work is my signature. So if I'm not concerned about putting out sloppy work, then it means I'm not concerned about my own image. It's not about projecting an image, but about becoming complacent and comfortable with poor quality. Such a person, in my opinion, is not someone who I would want on my team, no matter what his or her qualifications may be. In my book, Hiring Winners, I have argued and shown that technical competence can be hired or trained. But attitude must be selected and hired. It is almost impossible to change the attitude of people once they are hired. I say almost because it is possible in exceptional cases, with exceptional leaders, in exceptional circumstances. It is not something that I would recommend to everyone. Much simpler and easier to hire people with the right attitude and train them in the skills you want. Just to give you an idea why I call this dangerous. Let me share some statistically valid data. 1. According to a 2006 study looking at the frequency of surgical errors in the United States, each year there could be as many as 2,700 mistakes where a surgery is performed on the wrong body part or the wrong patient. That is about seven per day. To understand this properly, imagine, imagine having your good kidney or good eye removed. Both have happened. Number two, <clears throat> the Federal Aviation Administration lists pilot error as the leading cause of plane accidents, but pilot error is almost always part of a chain of events that starts with something like an iced-up wing, not enough sleep, a failed marriage, financial stress that keeps the pilot tensed up, and so on and you, the passenger, pay the price with your life. These details are only to give you an idea of the seriousness of being careless. It can result in loss of life and limb. I am sure that the more we dig, the more we will find incidents where significant loss could have been avoided if only somebody had checked. That is where this is related to spelling and grammar. They are indicators of attitude. Someone who sends out a letter full of spelling and grammatical mistakes is more than likely a person who will not do an instrument check if he were flying a plane or read the patient's data sheet or count the number of sponges he took out of the incision in a surgical procedure. I, for one, wouldn't want to be on that plane or that operating table. The attitude of carelessness is not restricted to English lighters or pilots and surgeons. We have careless teachers who ruin children's enthusiasm to study, careless parents who bring up little animals instead of responsible human beings, careless scholars who leave the remnants of their mistakes to confound people long after they are dead and gone. And that is where the issue of demanding quality comes in. Sloppiness is not a sign of passion, but of the lack of it. By and large, we seem to have quality problems in third world countries because we accept poor quality. People can do better, but they need to be convinced that it is worth their while to do so. We must demand quality without apology and without confusing it for a lack of kindness. In my opinion, the willingness to take tough calls is the key to quality. Ask yourself, is it kindness to allow cancer to develop because you don't want to hurt the patient by cutting him? Or is it kindness to be concerned enough about the life of the patient to cut out the cancer? That is what you are doing when you allow sloppiness in the name of being kind. You cut out cancer because you know it will kill you even though it is your own cell. That is precisely why your internal defense mechanism can't deal with it and you have to use external intervention. That is why Jack Welch of GE used to say that the ultimate test of the leader is if he or she had edge, which he defined as the ability to take tough decisions. Among the four E's of GE, energy, energize, edge, execute, Welch would say that a person may have three of the four, but if he didn't have edge, then he would fail even though he had the others. I have given given you a a link to an interesting article about that. Do read it. Now, quality is all about being tough for the right reasons. Firstly, with oneself and then with one's team. Without that edge, there can never be any quality. Of this, I am absolutely convinced. Michael Harry of Motorola was the man who conceptualized the Six Sigma quality standard based on the principle that one can only measure mistakes. You can't say how efficient someone is except to count the number of mistakes they make. The fewer the mistakes, the better the product or service. So let's say someone has a service delivery of 99%. Now, that may sound perfectly acceptable, and we may say to ourselves, we must be compassionate and not give that person a hard time because they made just one mistake in a hundred. Unless, of course, you translate it into Six Sigma terms, which is how many per million? One percent is 10,000 per million. Six Sigma is 3.4 mistakes per million. Now, how would you like to fly at 39,000 feet in a plane where the engines were manufactured by a company Operating at 99% efficiency or where the pilot is operating at 99% efficiency or be operated for heart surgery by a surgeon who is 99% particular by hygiene. Do I need to give any more examples? This is where the importance of metrics comes in. It is only when you have metrics to define what is meant by acceptable qual- quality in your context can you be sure that everyone understands the standard, understands the standard can be measured and will know clearly if he or she met the standard or didn't. What you don't measure, you don't know. What you don't know, you can't control. What you can't control, you can't guarantee. Subjective assessments can't substitute for metrics. So do take the trouble to measure quality. That is what Toyota did with the development of the luxury car. They went to the owners of Rolls-Royce, Mercedes and BMW and asked them questions about what they felt felt, not thought, when they use their cars. They asked, for example, what the owner of the Rolls-Royce feels when he gets into his car and shuts the door, which shuts with a very satisfying thump, not a tinny clang like the door of a small cheap car. They asked them what they felt when they sank into the luxury of real leather seats which hugged them and give them back support. They asked the owners of BMW what they felt When they were behind the wheel and on an open stretch of road, they floored the accelerator. Those who have driven BMWs will know what I mean. The car acts like a leopard gathering itself to pounce. You can feel it in your belly before it leaps forward and the thrust drives you back in your seat. Toyota engineers took all these highly touchy-feely answers and converted them into engineering drawings, the most specific of data. The result was the most successful. And fastest selling luxury car on the market, the Lexus. This is the magic of numbers, the power of metrics. They convert visions into reality, vision into action, effort into result. Quality is serious. Qual- lack of quality is deadly. Lack of quality happens simply because we permit it. It happens because we don't insist on quality. It happens because we accept poor quality, most often in the name of being kind and compassionate, not realizing, of course, that there is nothing more unkind and unjust than accepting poor quality. It fools the provider into believing that his or her product or service is good enough. It takes away their incentive to improve and makes them vulnerable to collapse. This is not kindness, but a lack of understanding of the whole issue of quality, which has very long-term and very destructive effects. Unfortunately, our society is full of examples of people who don't keep their word, they don't deliver on promises, they don't work to high standards, and give ridiculous excuses when challenged. People who confuse effort with result, while it is only results that count. Let me tell you two stories about quality to end this uh, podcast. The story goes that Motorola ordered a part of their pagers from their Japanese ancillary and impressed upon them that they were a Six Sigma company and wouldn't accept anything but the Six Sigma standard of 3.4 mistakes per million. When the consignment was delivered to Motorola's surprise, they found two packages, a big one and a small one. When they opened the big box, they saw that it had the entire consignment of one million parts that they had ordered. The small box had four parts in it. When they asked their Japanese partner what uh, what was happening, they were told, we didn't understand why you wanted us to give you defective parts. But since you asked for them, we gave you four defective parts. Otherwise, we don't manufacture anything with defects. The second story is about Tata Motors in Pune, who were plagued with rework and cost escalations, and they hired a Japanese consultant from Toyota to help them to solve their quality problem. The man entered their factory and walked straight to the end of the manufacturing line and saw that there was a huge area marked rework. This story was told to me by the fa- by the factory manager, so this is a, a true story. The uh, Japanese consultant said to them, please remove this sign, which is The rework, right? There's a rework area. He said, remove the sign and eliminate this work area. Just there is There should be no area for rework. Remove the area. That is all that you need to do to fix your problem. If you have no rework area, you will have no rework. People will do the right thing the first time. The Tata executives, however, were not convinced. And they reduced the area of rework, they reduced the size of the area. But they were too frightened to remove the rework area entirely. The results were predictable. My question is, if you had a choice, which car would you buy? A Toyota or a Tata?